I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello, dear listener, and welcome to another episode of Everyone is Hot, the podcast that talks about your favorite stealth sex symbols and the film that turned you onto them. I'm Michael Stevens. And I'm Shelley Brooks. And Michael, would you like to introduce our very exciting guest this week? Absolutely. We are really excited to have him here, co-host of the Hit Factory podcast, Aaron Casillas, everyone. Welcome, Aaron. The children are so thrilled. (laughs) Uh, Thank you all so much for having me. I I wish I could say I I always have just parades of children celebrating my entrance uh, wherever I go. So it's not new to me, thankfully, but that means it won't go to my head. That's good. Yeah, you got to keep an even keel. We did bring in all the children from the movie that we're going to be talking about. So, Oh, very good. Very good. (laughs) They're quite old now. um, Yeah. But they kept that youthful energy. (laughs) Which, speaking of, Aaron, who is your stealth sex symbol this week and what movie are we going to be talking about? Oh, I'm excited to talk about this one. Uh, We are going to be discussing my stealth sex symbol today, Kathleen Byron, uh, actress Mm. from the 1947 Powell and Pressburger film Black Narcissus. Oh, I was so thrilled when you gave this as an option. This is such a great choice. And yeah, I mean, she is a beautiful actress, very, very sexy, but it is an interesting, uh, yeah, stealth sex symbol because she is crazy in this she movie. She is fucking unhinged in this movie. <laughs> she oh. is terrifying. Uh, it's the best. <laughs> Some would argue that that is what makes her sexy. Some, <laughs> some would. I don't know if I'm I, going to. Yeah, <laughs> who knows who? I mean, who? Yeah. <laughs> who could be? <laughs> well, Michael, if someone has not seen the 1947 Powell and Pressburger film, Black Narcissus, could you tell them what it's about? 
Uh, you absolutely should watch this movie immediately. It is about a group of nuns struggling to establish a convent in the Himalayas while isolation, extreme weather, altitude, and culture clashes all conspire to drive the well-intentioned missionaries mad. Now, we normally source these uh, from IMDb. I don't think this synopsis was... Uh, as bad as the ones that uh, <laughs> we get. <laughs> they can get pretty grim, but this one was actually very well done, I think. Concise, to the point. To the point. <laughs> uh, 10 points for whoever the fuck this is. Um, yes, and this is a, really an ideal Everyone is Hot title because it is a movie kind of all about going insane because you are so horny. Yeah, it. it oof. <laughs> I have been looking for a reason to watch this movie for a real long time, so... Uh, very glad to kick off my day <laughs> with this. <laughs> Perfect. Well, before we get into our main discussion, and we'll talk a little bit about your history with the movie, Aaron, uh, we first like to get a little slick, a little warm, and we do that with a sexy trivia game. Michael, what is the sexy trivia game? Oh, well, very simple. Just some movie chatting about some movie trivia before we go into our our full discourse. I will kick us off. Some 50 years after being afforded her career role as neurotic nun, Sister Ruth and Black Narcissus, Kathleen Byron would cameo in Les Miserables, 1998 as Mother Superior of the nunnery where Beljean and Cosette are sheltered for 10 years, a role played in Les Miserables 1978 by Byron's Black Narcissus castmate, Flora Robson. Very good, very good indeed. Aaron, would you like to give us number B? Number B, gladly. Michael Powell initially ruled that the actresses playing the nuns would not wear any lipstick on camera. However, after a couple days filming, they noticed that the Technicolor film made it look as though they were. The solution was to have the actresses wear lipstick in flesh-colored tones. Flesh-colored tones. Which made their lips look more natural. Oh my god. (laughs) What rosy lips indeed. <laughs> I shall finish us off. Please do. E. <laughs> Please do. Kathleen Byron, Deborah Carr, and Jean Simmons appeared in Young Bess from 1953. While in Hollywood, Byron got into a taxi, and the driver recognized her as the Mad Nun. And that is the sexy trivia game. Ooh, I like camera, a little Jenna Maroney on there. Little <laughs> <laughs> camera. Camera. That was... felt right in the moment. It was perfect. We loved it. We loved it. Oh, my goodness. I will say this was a very interesting trivia section because much like uh, our synopses, we get these from IMDb. Uh, sometimes they are uh, stupid these trivia sections this one is actually very good there's a lot of you know technical information about you know sort of like the matte painting and about the the way that they created the production design though my favorite piece of trivia is the very last one that notes um that towards the end of the film sister ruth 
wears a pair of boots that look a lot like Uggs, which would later come into fashion <laughs> in, wow. in later decades. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Oh, a Very perceptive of that person. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that person was watching this movie and he was like, oh, shit, I've got something great oh, for IMDb. Oh. <laughs> i got to get to my computer. Get so nuts over this. <laughs> She's wearing fucking Uggs. They went out with their friends that night and they're like, you guys are not going to fucking believe <laughs> What guys, guys, listen! In this <laughs> old, oh old my movie. God. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, I'm trying to see. Let's see. I'm gonna look really quickly. How many people found this interesting? <laughs> Five people found it helpful. <laughs> so good job, whoever <laughs> noticed the uh, precursor to Uggs in the film. <laughs> Very good. Well, Aaron, tell us about your background with Black Narcissus and with Kathleen Byron specifically. Gladly. Oh, my gosh. Let's see where to start here. So I saw Black Narcissus for the first time, I think, as a teenager Mm -hmm. uh, when I was a budding cinephile in the early days of Netflix when you could still get (laughs) DVD movies from them. Uh, and I, I don't know if you all like remember this period, but like the algorithm at this point was not mm-hmm. as refined, but it was also right. just like in just an incredible <laughs> like source for discovering like the weirdest possible shit. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm not calling this one necessarily, you know, kind of off the beaten path or, or, sure. or too weird, but it's the way that I came to so many filmmakers that I love today in sort of mm-hmm. like the more like art house avant-garde space. Um, but then saw people kind of, you know routinely mentioning the archers powell pressburger powell yeah. pressburger uh so i immediately rented both this and the red shoes yes uh, yes which is i mean one of the most gorgeous movies ever put to film as is this it's just mm-hmm. like these technicolor dreams um so i watched this yeah probably for the first time around like 17 years old um mm. and my relationship with it just has evolved from there. I loved it at the time. Um, I don't know that I quite clocked all of its suggestion and subtlety mm-hmm. because it's a very erotic movie. Um, yeah. It's a very sexy movie, very like steamy, but all of it is implication throughout. Mm. Um, it's, it's very like, you know, it's very 1940s in that way, but, um, but is, mm. is kind of racy. Uh, but I've always, I think, been drawn to Sister Ruth and Kathleen Byron since I, I watched this. Like, I mean, Deborah Kerr is Deborah Kerr. She's mm. beautiful. She's very charming. She's lovely in this movie. She's got like beautiful red hair, and especially yeah. in the flashback, she's just stunning. But uh, I don't know. I like them a little crazy sometimes. <laughs> I like them a little edgy. So she's just someone who uh, I was I was always drawn to, and I think in this movie, the thing that you know. Uh, makes her so special is like the versatility of her mm. hotness yeah like she looks good in the nun garb and then she gets like a, a you know like a literal like horror music cue because she's so hot when she like puts on the dress for the first time yeah and then she goes crazy at the it's end so funny. and uh <laughs> is in her like goth baddie phase a little bit she looks like and an actual model when she's in the door frame and like she's got like the you know the severe makeup and her hair is all wet like yeah that was interesting that you you know watching it as a teenager and not catching all the sort of like 
subtleties of the you know erotic stuff because i i had a similar experience with the movie that i rented it from netflix when i was in high school uh Mm -hmm. mine was because i uh was really into the book a thousand and one movies to watch before you die and it was in there oh yeah Yeah. (laughs) the teen cinephiles you know steady companion um (laughs) but watching it this time i don't think that i had seen it since high school actually um but i i mean i obviously recognize the overt sort of like erotic madness of it when I was a kid but like the subtle things like you know the lines about like I you know I appreciate you teaching the girls for me and you know the the line about you know are you going to ask basically implying are you gonna ask if I slept with a 17 year old girl who's been sitting on my porch like I I definitely did not clock those when I was you know 15 watching right (laughs) but yeah but it's interesting that I yeah, that that you were so drawn to this specific character. So, I mean, as as a, have you found that your feelings towards the character have shifted from watching it as a teenager to now watching it as an adult and towards the character? That's a great question. I think yes, and you know, especially on this last rewatch, obviously, I have at least I'd like to believe I've evolved as a person a little <laughs> bit in in the intervening. What is it now? Like fifteen, sixteen yeah. years. Uh, but yeah, you know, I, I think the film, as you watch it and like kind of take it at face value when you're a little bit younger or maybe like a little bit less entrenched in what the film is doing, you see her as like the principal antagonist of mm. the film. Um, and, sh- and she is in a lot of ways, right? She is the one who eventually becomes kind of <laughs> psychotic and, and murderous. Um, but she's also the one who is the most willing to give in to the reality and the nature Mm -hmm. of the situation they find them in in -hmm. the film and you can see that while the others are sort of adhering to a sense of like decorum and a sense of kind of like devotion and Mm -hmm. and holiness that they're carrying from like a previous life into this very kind of exotic region Mm. she's somebody who kind of more wholeheartedly embraces early on and recognizes sort of the the gravity and magnitude of what they're facing in this new environment. Hmm. She's the one who's maybe like the least delusional for a little <laughs> while. Yeah, it's funny because I, I had forgotten the fact that in the beginning of the film, I, I, like I had sort of remembered the film as, you know, it being just that she went off the deep end once they got there. And I had forgotten the fact that like from the beginning that she's sent there in part because she was erratic and, you know, unsuited for for that life from the beginning. Like, you know, we we are introduced to her as an empty spot at the table with the nuns. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, this this sense of her not fitting into the the strictures of like a religious life from the very beginning, I think, is something very exciting about her as a character because she seems unstable but also like more of the world than the rest of them so michael this was your first time seeing the film um what were your initial impressions well uh i'm a catholic so uh absolutely (laughs) (laughs) uh i absolutely loved it um seeing uh these nuns grapple with uh their very uh sensual environment um Mm. Yeah, I I I loved it. I loved uh seeing Homegirl just lose her fucking mind this whole movie. Um specifically the scene where she's confronted by Sister Cloda about her uh fascination, her fixation on uh 
Mr. Dean. And then mm. there's a shot of like a close up shot of her eyes. And she's just very, uh, I don't know. What's that, that horror movie <laughs> with um, the ghost. And she's like, Ugh. I don't oh, know. The uh, exorcist. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, <laughs> she's shot a bit like that because it cuts to her and it sort of pans up and you see her face rise and she's like under the habit and like her eyes yeah. looking up. It's, I mean, she, yeah, she shot like a horror movie villain throughout the film. (laughs) There's something very uh, demonic and witch-like about her that uh, scratches the, uh, the Wicked Witch of the West itch (laughs) that I am always talking about uh, on this show. Um, So yeah, I really, I really, um, I really loved this uh, performance and uh, this movie overall. Um, It made me think of a lot of other kind of movies focused on um, the overlap between like the natural world and mm. um, eroticism. But I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit later. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned, you know, it's speaking to you as a Catholic because something, again, this was a one good IMDb trivia section. Uh, yeah. it, it got into detail about the cuts that had to be made for it to be sold in the American market um, to meet the censorship requirements. And I mean, one of the things was that they had to alter the title card at the beginning to say, like, to state clearly, like, they're not Catholic. These are Protestant nuns. Oh, bullshit. <laughs> and, and it's fascinating the scenes that had to be cut in order to, you know, appease the censors, because there's nothing, you know, over the top sexual in this or anything. But the sensuality is so, so palpable and so strong, even in its implication, because apparently they had to cut the scene where Sister Ruth puts on her lipstick. Which, you know, it's just a close up of a woman's mouth putting on lipstick, but it is like tingling with it eroticism. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that, Aaron, what, what were some of the moments that sort of stuck out to you is like the most sort of like charged moments in the film? Oh my God. Uh, great question. The, the one that Michael mentioned, you know, that, that first time, well, not the first time, but, you know, there, there's like the kind of like, main confrontation between Cloda and Ruth mm. where uh Cloda kind of accuses Ruth for the first time of being obsessed with Dean mm. uh David Ferrar's character and you can tell you can just feel from her like the jealousy like the just like mm. palpable jealousy from from Deborah Kerr and that she's you know, at once trying to be the disciplinarian mm-hmm. um, and, and retain kind of this, you know, like, you know, dig her heels in a little bit in terms of the order and, and yeah. uh, keeping things where they need to be. But also she's like fiery, hot, horny, like yeah. <laughs> yeah. for this guy and is like <laughs> denying it by like pointing the finger at somebody else and being like, you, you want to fuck this man. And like, <laughs> yeah. that's bad. And she's <laughs> like, what? Like, look at you. Like, what? No, you. Like, like, <laughs> You're you're literally you're vibrating right now. Like yeah. <laughs> um, th- that one to me is just like there's something about it too that's just I think like it it feels so accurate to like that sense of like sexual competition, you know, mm-hmm. where you you kind of like retaliate against somebody in ways that are petty and minor, but clearly charged with something like beyond. Um, yeah. and, and that one to me is is that way. Also, basically, anytime David Ferrara comes in and he's wearing like. <laughs> like a three inch 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 shorts yeah you know and it's just like i mean and you're you're ready for like a nut to like slip out the side of it when he's sitting in a chair like sipping tea and it's like you guys are just like you're going for it good for you though it is funny i think that something that's interesting about the movie is that with david ferrar's character 
that he obviously is like a, a strapping man with, like you say, shorts that looks like his nuts could slip out. Yeah. But he's also <laughs> set up as this kind of ridiculous figure as well, which I think makes their sort of like intense horniness towards him more interesting. I mean, he's introduced Oof. coming in on this tiny horse with his big <laughs> thighs out, Yo. wearing a stupid hat. <laughs> and like seeing him like drunk at Christmas where like his face is all, his <laughs> nose is red and like he just looks like so unappealing. But uh. But because I don't know, it's like the isolation, but also there's something that makes him more appealing because he is this mix of of ridiculous and sexy. I, I oof, I the scene uh, where uh, I forget what scene it is, but there's a, sh- a scene of him with like the animals and mm. he's just drinking his tea and he's with the, he's with the creatures. Yeah. And he is just chilling. And it's before he like walks in uh, on the nuns without his shirt on and it's. I'm like I, I'm watching this with no context, but I I do recognize it's 1947. This is an English movie. Um, <laughs> like <laughs> the fact that this man is barging in here uh, with his shirt off is probably like kind of a big deal. Um, but I laughed out loud <laughs> um, uh, whenever this man walked out. Um, specifically that <laughs> that particular scene. Hmm. He's so funny. He's so like, <laughs> yeah. you're right. He's like so kind of like infantile and childish and goofy. Mm-hmm. And there's like something there too about it that I think speaks to kind of that like, I don't know, that that sort of like inherent attraction to somebody, especially in a place mm-hmm. that's kind of like devoid of options, yes, but someplace <laughs> yeah. that's like, you know, so, so sort of like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess kind of like sterile and maybe yeah. almost like like anemic in that in that way you know like this this you know society of of nuns these these women who are trying to keep something very kind of clean and holy mm. and this guy comes in and he's loud and he's ridiculous and he's a kind of a buffoon but it's also yeah. like you're you're different like at least you have some sort of like you're, you're tapped into something here that's that's present in mm. this place of absence you know and I do think that something that's interesting about both Sister Clodagh and Sister Ruth's attraction to him is like, obviously, Sister Ruth's darkness is more apparent than Sister Clodagh's. Hers is more repressed. But it seems that they are attracted to to his very darkness and his dirtiness and his like that he's such a dis- defiled kind of figure, like both physically, he often looks kind of dirty and sweaty. But also, I mean, he's he's gross. I mean, the way that he talks about like having sex with the women in the village with these young girls. I mean, he's like a bit of a pedophile. Like, yeah, and, he's <laughs> yeah, and I, it seems like they are that part of his appeal to them is this this really dark kind of ugliness that is yeah. kind of magnetic towards them. I I guess because it is the the opposite of this ideal that they're trying to trying like impossibly to live up to of you know pure pureness and holiness. Mm-hmm. yeah and there's like there's a, a component of this too that i feel like ruth sees that connection between the mm-hmm. two of them she understands that darkness and mm-hmm. it's kind of one of the reasons why she feels that kinship despite you know when she confronts him at the end he's like we've like never <laughs> talked to one another yeah. and she's like no we have though we we have <laughs> talked to one another through our bodies you know <laughs> yeah uh, but there's like a there's something here too that i, I get the sense that Dean is a character who recognizes in himself 
that mm-hmm. sort of darkness and recognizes sort of that uh, that that need for something mm-hmm. and makes him more attracted to Cloda. Like it's almost like something yeah. about like her cleanliness, her, you know, uh, her kind of pristine nature mm-hmm. is what attracts him to her as a way of validating maybe his you know gentler side that maybe he he still believes he he has intact even though he's a little bit more kind of gruff and and rough around the edges yeah and that that cleanness i think is part of the what's so interesting about clota versus ruth and i think why ruth is a sexier character is because i mean deborah carr which i one of my favorite things every time I see her name is apparently when they introduced her in Hollywood, they had this whole campaign where they're like, Deborah Carr, it rhymes with star. And so that was like where they would put in all the trades and stuff <laughs> and like all the like, you know, Hollywood magazines. Um, anyway, digression. But but she looks like powdery throughout the movie. Like her, she yeah. looks dry, you know? And Sister Ruth, like she's wet throughout this she's entire sweating movie. She's sweating the sure, whole fucking I'm time. I'm sure wet, sweating. you know, in many oh. ways, but like, yeah, she's always glistening with sweat. Yeah. Like at the end in the doorway, like when her hair is like matted down to her head, like you see it like blowing in the wind and it's like these like soaked strands of hair. Like, yeah, that sort of like physical difference between them. Like, I mean, she feels sexy because she feels embodied, you know? Yeah. And like they play with that quite a bit within Mm -hmm. the, you know, context of the film when Clota has kind of her like dark night of the soul, you know, where she stays up all evening, like standing by the cliff and, yeah. you know, has the, the, the young boy kind of come and like revive her and send her to bed or whatever afterward uh, is the first time we ever see her like powder dry sort mm-hmm. of uh, demeanor shift. Like she, and she has like a couple like little beads of sweat and you're like, oh, Uh-oh. this place is getting to you too. You're starting to get a little sweaty. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, she does perspire. <laughs> Look at this. <laughs> Little Miss Clota. She can sweat. <laughs> but yeah, and it's, I mean, the Ruth thing, I think her embodiment is also interesting because like, you know, I was just saying that it's sexy that she's like <laughs> sweaty and gross. Yeah. But, but I mean, they also, they talk so much about like all of her bodily ailments. Like they have the scene early on where they're like, her joints ache and she's got spots and she's got a boil on her finger. And like, we hear about, you know, all the nuns having these like physical manifestations and stuff. But I think it's interesting that with Deborah Carr's character, like they say she has spots on her arm, but like we never see any sort of indication of that. But like, we, we hear constantly about like how fucked up like Sister Ruth's body is. Like even before they go, they're like, she's in bed because she's sick. And like, yeah, she's constantly having some sort of like physical ailment. Yeah. They're afraid of it. They're afraid of her body, which yeah. you see in in full force at the end when she kind of dons yeah. the dress and everything. And it's like, oh, I see. Mm-hmm. I see why you were scared of this. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, uh, and I, like that. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Michael. No, I, I was going to say, Shirley, I, I don't know what it is about you kind of breaking uh, down like all of her ailments that makes me more attracted to her character. Right. Um, <laughs> I was like, oh, I, I love a I love a mortal, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I love someone with something yeah. to complain about. <laughs> we, we say we like a girl that's a little broken, and I don't mean psychologically. I mean like physically, her body's yeah. failing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I mean it's so true. It's like I mean I always like joke about how like I love when someone's got like a little bit of like a lazy eye or something, or I think it's like I love scars and stuff because yeah. like it's like it proves like you've got a body, you know? Yeah. Like that. It's so sexy to me, and like I love in the the scene of her putting on the lipstick. I feel like in like a Hollywood movie of the era, if you see a you know pretty woman putting on 
lipstick, you would expect it to be like, you know, gauzy shot, like, you know, soft focus, her plump lips as she puts it on. But they get close up on her lips and they are dry. They are like Mm kind of cracked. Like, and so it's like, it's still sexy, but like you, you see the, the flesh of it all. Like you see that, you know, the weirdly discolored. Uh, Even like her, her facial expression during the application is very like Mm. (laughs) trance like. Yeah, it's an ambulator almost. (laughs) So fucking spooky. And it's it's not like a perfect application either. I don't know Mm -hmm. if you guys catch this, but like, you know, she, and and obviously, you know, like we, we won't fault her for this. She's not doing it in a mirror or like anything, but when she puts it on, they allow it to be like a little bit crooked you know like yes. a little bit like she's kind of like out of practice embracing this this kind of thing mm-hmm. um and she kind of like has like a like a smear in like the corner of her lip a little bit it's just yeah. good it's really i good. love i love it i love it i don't know why <laughs> <laughs> well so you wouldn't i mean this is obviously not a, a horror film but it has elements that feel akin to the things that you would see in horror films especially the way that she is framed so i mean what what is it aaron do you think that like makes people so attracted to to villains especially in these like sort of like horror contexts like what is it that's so exciting about that i I mean i think it's the same thing that draws people to a lot of yeah a lot of these kind of like horror and i'm not gonna say like you know killers or slashes or anything (laughs) like that but we do have you know people in society who have kind of like a fixation on on people who are actual killers I, i think it's something about like about the sort of way that they butt up against the repression of society that's kind mm. of always there and and you know some of these are sort of like de facto like social mores and like folk ways of existence right like where we mm-hmm. you know we we don't swerve on the highway to like <laughs> run into uh you know an oncoming car and try to hurt somebody and maybe ourselves um yeah. in, unless you're in a jg ballard novel or a <laughs> <Yes>. movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, but but even that right is is about kind of like the digression from like the societal norm from the mm. ideas of sort of like the postures that we all carry and this sort of kind of natural facade and performance that we all put on as part of everyday life and existing among other people and yeah. so when someone bears their ugliness for everyone to see and you know kind of walks in contradiction to those performances it feels a little scary it feels a little unsafe but it also feels I think liberating watching somebody do that and being able to live vicariously through them, like in this case, a a sister Ruth. And it does seem to be a, you know, a well-established trope of the character of the, the unstable woman and that it tends to have an edge of eroticism to it. That it's like, it's not just that she's crazy. It's that she's crazy and she's so horny. Like, you know, it's like (laughs) a misery or like a single white female or, you know, De Palma's sisters, like that there's always like a psychosexual component to, to a a woman's madness. It seems. I don't know. It's interesting. Cause I feel like a, a male character being going mad it you know it will oftentimes have like a you know a sexual component to it but oftentimes it does seem like that is kind of sublimated into it being quote coded as queer that so i I don't know there's it's there's something like naughty and strange about that that i am always trying to kind of unpack there you know yeah it's like there's i think there's just something about and i'm gonna step on this word very gently but like the idea of like a a, like a deviance to Mm. like sexuality right and and in a lot Mm. of 
films and, and in our society for a long time, like the expression of like homosexual eroticism has been like deemed, you know, by the censors as like deviant yeah. or, or, you know, yeah. like cutting against sort of like the, the grain here. Um, but in the case of, of women, often it, it is simply just like being able to like willfully and like unencumbered just express mm-hmm. your sexuality. Like yeah. that, that is somehow, you know, like this, this sense of, uh, indiscretion and, and deviance when it comes to like the feminine object in mm. films a lot yeah and I mean like in, in such a extreme way in this one because it's like not only is she a woman you know expressing this sort of like you know deviant thing of you know feeling erotic feelings but like but she begins as a nun <laughs> so it's yeah. like she takes the farthest journey to that that you could possibly take <laughs> So as so you were a young cinephile, as you were like getting into these classic movies, like what were some of the the films that you found kind of awakened your your sexuality or like established your ideas of like what you found attractive, like either on film or just generally? Oh boy. Uh like going all the way back to the beginning. Sure. Uh I think I I can't verify this but i remember vividly my first on-screen crush being alicia silverstone in clueless classic oh my god who's, who's a very <laughs> different kind god. of like femininity but yeah. she's like a little bit she yeah like very preppy like very cute like i i, I remember being five years old and i remember uh like crying one night telling my parents that I had a secret and I didn't <laughs> oh. want to share it with them. And that secret apparently was that at five years old, I understood that I was like very sexually attracted to Alicia Silverstone. <laughs> uh, like I didn't, I didn't have like a language for it or like an understanding of it, but like, I remember it like <laughs> confusing me to the point where I'm like, I don't want to talk to you all about this. Like, who oh do I talk God. to about this? Um, so so it must've been, it must've been very severe. Um, and you know that that carried on through a lot of my my youth but <laughs> let's see I, I will tell you who i uh attribute with my like actual like serious boy girl feelings uh on screen uh it's it's my number one like celebrity crush has been for essentially all of my life since i was probably like nine ten years oh, old wow uh Parker long-term Posey. relationship parker <laughs> posey uh parker posey like even younger like i think i saw her first in things like waiting for guffman and then i mm. saw her in like dazed and confused yes. um and then later on in, in some of her other christopher guest stuff best in show what have you as i was you know becoming like a teenager and she was the first like woman that i was like attracted to where i was like this isn't a girl like this is like she's like a grown woman you know and like so she's got funny. like a face and like a like a severity but also a uh i, I don't know just like in, in adultness to her and yeah. i was like i, I want to go to there like that yeah <laughs> that. um so it, it was it's always been uh parker posey for me for a long time now is there one parker parker posey performance or even one moment that like for you is is Parker Posey. Oh boy. Um, you know, it's one that I've only come to recently. Okay. Uh, just in the last couple of years, I finally caught up with uh, Greg Matola's film. Um, yes. Which, oh my God, I'm blanking on the name now. The, it's not the, the Overnighters. 
Yes. Yeah. Right? Is that what it's yeah, called? Yeah, I think so. Right? I can't. I can't remember. Uh, oh, or out of towners? No. Let me. No. Know. Sorry, I'm gonna have to just like look at me doing this. Yeah, this yeah, yeah. Go for it. <laughs> um, I was like, I, I want to get this. I want to get this right for you all. So oh you yeah. Know, right? so yeah, especially because I think Greg Matola has several films on the Criterion Channel right now, so we should uh, yes. give people a chance to watch. <laughs> uh, Greg Matola's film, The Day Trippers. Day Trippers. We were so close. Overnighters, out of towners, day trippers. Uh, over Overnighters is the documentary with the priest in North Dakota yes. who finds out he's gay. Uh, right. Day Trippers is the movie with Parker Posey and uh, Stanley Tucci and everyone. Anyway, yes. in, in that movie, she is like with Liev Schreiber's character. She's mm. a little bit kind of like hoity-toity. She's clearly like not super into him anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. And she starts to like fall for this like older guy, this very like literary type who's like much more confident, much more kind of like sexually aware of himself and attracted to her and expressing that in ways that are meaningful. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene where she goes to a party that he's at and she's able to get in, but leave isn't. And she mm-hmm. takes off like her jacket and like strips all of her like more refined clothes off mm-hmm. until she's just in like a, like a, a very tight black leather skirt and a pair of heels and like uh like a I don't know like like a, a black shirt or something mm-hmm. and it's like this this is you <laughs> this is you just like moving from one thing this like kind of very polished very refined like idea of yeah. womanhood into like party girl mode and you can do both of them and both of them are hot on you and you're perfect Oh, that's so good. Oh my gosh, what a perfect moment. <laughs> Incredible encapsulation of her. Yeah, that movie, oh, great sexy cast. Hope Davis. Ooh, she she really does it for me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Parker Posey I, I was a big sort of uh inspiration for me as a as a teen because I watched a lot of Waiting for Guffman, especially her uh deleted scene of her monologue <laughs> that she does for her audition. Yes. Michael, have you seen this monologue? I have not. Oh, I am going to send it to you the minute we get off. It is a tour de force. <laughs> it oh, is shit. truly incredible. <laughs> yeah. oh, well, maybe so there's ha- something about maybe, oh, maybe sorry about that. Uh, maybe there's something about her too in Days and Confused is just like mm. the most ruthless cheerleader you've ever met, just like screaming <laughs> at freshmen. Like, <laughs> what's what's her line when she says like wipe that head off your face, bitch, yes. or something like that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like. I want someone to talk to me this way. <laughs> so maybe maybe that's where like the start of my like evil woman. Yeah, I was gonna say starts. this undercurrent of fear I'm <laughs> sensing is very interesting. It's very necessary. <laughs> <laughs> so in more recent times, I, I admire your dedication to this long-term relationship with Parker Posey. Um, but are there performances that you've seen in more recent years that you maybe wouldn't have recognized when you were younger as something that was attractive to you? but but really stand out to you now oh man uh not a parker posey just in general anybody? just in general or, yeah because okay. I, I it's funny i've seen like my sort of interest in actors like develop over time because like i mean when i was very young i had a real obsession with like rafe fines and now i'm like oh he's oh, yeah. too pretty and now everyone i like is like <laughs> an old homunculus <laughs> that's good to know okay um yeah, I guess that's that's an interesting question. I mean, I, I have my like kind of standbys who are just like obsessions that I've always had, like a like a Linda Fiorentino. <laughs> oh, yes. oh my! We've talked about previously. Yeah. We, on talk, here. we did, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> but but someone who I needed, I think, to grow up a little bit to truly appreciate. I, I grew I saw her in Men in Black when I was like, you know, seven years old and yeah. clocked her as like a, a pretty person on, on a yeah. movie. Uh, but now I see her as like just the smolder is unreal. Like she yeah. like make, she's so I mean, hot. I want to die sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> in uh, after hours, I want to fucking throw myself oh my, like oh my off God. a cliff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you know, that I think is maybe a, a good segue then to one that's uh, been more recent, who is Rosanna Arquette. Yes. yes. Who I oh, was perfect. never attracted to in my mm-hmm. entire life up until... Uh, probably seeing after hours within the last like five years and then seeing her in crash and and a couple other things and uh so rosanna arquette is one for sure um and she's good i guess my other big one is somebody who for a long time i found very kind of bothersome and have fallen in love with since starting the podcast who is juliette lewis interesting why do you think that changed uh, I attribute almost exclusively to finally seeing Catherine Bigelow's 1995 film Strange Days. Yes. Both very good in and also like ungodly hot in, just like wearing yeah. next to nothing, covering PJ Harvey. And it's like, <laughs> oh, okay. Like, why Why did I miss this? What, how, how did I not realize that this is incredibly sexy? Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. There was something about her, like, you know, she's, I mean, she's certainly gorgeous, but she is a little bit, you know, kind of different looking and just maybe not to my particular sensibilities when I was younger, but now Mm -hmm. it's just like tour de force. Yeah. I do find that. And I don't know if Michael, you feel the same way. Um, that certainly as I've gotten older, I've gotten more interested in like specificity that, you know, Mm -hmm. people that when I was younger, I might've thought were like a little strange or a little off. Like, now that is the the thing that I find most appealing about someone is that they they feel singular, you know. Yep. I you know, Michael have you found that as well. Yeah, I absolutely um, agree with this. Um, I am thinking about my attraction to Sandra Bernhard and yeah, uh, like other folks um, who just have a thing about them. Like this whole conversation, I've been thinking about like. Rachel Weiss has been like rolling around mm. in my my brain um specifically her performance in uh The Shape of Things um mm. where she plays an yeah. evil woman and she's uh ah <laughs> uh, she is so evil and calculating in such a specific way <laughs> um, that I find it uh, very attractive but um yeah I guess like as I've gotten older uh the way that I define what and who is attractive to me um, has definitely expanded. Like I, I definitely, I can't like really pinpoint um, pinpoint it, but I, I'm thinking of actors like uh, Alfre Woodard who like, yeah, I fucking love her, um, yeah. her whole vibe. But I, I, uh, she, uh, I, I, I'm, I cannot speak. I can't, I'm, well, she's always I'm felt like a words. woman, you know. Yeah. It's like you. I feel like as a, a, if you're too young, you can't appreciate Alfre Woodard because she, she's Absolutely. a woman. You have to be ready for Alfre yeah. Woodard, you know. Of course, yeah. She's looked the same, by the way, for like 50 years now. Oh yeah, it's like <laughs> unbelievable. So yeah. I was under the impression until very recently that Alfre Woodward was like maybe like late 40s, early 50s. Yeah. And then I put on uh, the the Alan Rudolph film "Remember My Name." 
which is from 1978, and she's yeah. a full-grown, like, 20-something, like, maybe late 20-something woman. What in the movie. shit? <laughs> and it's she looks crazy. the same. And I'm like, I cannot believe this. Like, okay, good for you. Yeah, good 70 you. years old. That is how old Alfred Woodard is. That is oh, God. absolutely insane. <laughs> Black don't crack. Black does not crack. <laughs> It it's not. true. There's it a is, reason. It is the truth. <laughs> the We've heard the this. rumors. <laughs> it is the truth. <laughs> yeah, she has looked uh, amazing forever and still does. Black, it's wild. <laughs> black don't crack, and uh, neither does Ni- does Kathy Bates. She's not black, but um, I think <laughs> I think she's been aging very well. Um, she yeah, and Kathy Bates. She's another one that like I feel like has aged into. I mean, she's always been good looking. I think. But I mean, she I think she just has always felt like a woman, you know, so like as she gets older, it's like she feels even more like a woman. And that's that's very attractive. You know, I'm this is making me think of this is now making me think of actors that I'm not that I not attracted to, like (laughs) in a popular way. But like as they've gotten older, I've become more attracted to them. Like an example Mm. of that would be someone like uh carrie russell who like hasn't really Mm. hit my radar until like i started to notice like oh damn she in her 40s okay what's up (laughs) like i want to talk talk to me when you're in your your 60s i want to know what's going on with that version of of carrie russell (laughs) oh aging love it and that is exciting because i mean it is tough on actresses i think especially when you know you're a very young actress there's such a narrow idea of what is attractive for a young actress and like what a young actress should be like there's such emphasis on being the sort of ingenue that it is exciting to see a woman like age into her own though you know it then makes it like doubly depressing that there are so few roles written for women over the age of 30 uh (gasps) yeah I definitely felt that when I was uh you know back in my acting days and I was auditioning for stuff I was like I'm not meant to be the like 21 year old girl in this, you know, that's just not, that's not my personality. That's not Yo, my look. <laughs> that's, oh, that's, that's a real, real thing. Yeah. I felt, I felt the same, the exact same way. I was like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're supposed to be middle-aged. <laughs> We're supposed to be middle-aged. Like, I was like, I'm not going to, yeah, I'm not going to hit till I'm like in my Morgan Freeman era. Like that's when, <laughs> okay. that's when I'll know myself. <laughs> <laughs> I, I recall recently somebody on Twitter like asking like why Susan Sarandon like mm-hmm. hasn't been in, in enough erotic thrillers yeah because of how hot she is and, and she is like and and she talked about aging well yeah. like oh my yeah. god my god um, <laughs> but but she you know found it and like quote tweeted and she's like there's still time for that and I was yeah. like yes. yes please like nothing would please me more than seeing like susan sarandon now doing yeah. like sexy like femme fatale role because like oh, God, yeah that's my fantasy like i want oh you my to God. ruin my life right? yo that should be the title of the movie too i want you to ruin my life starring susan sarandon <laughs> i will watch the shit out of this movie yeah no one oh. take this title michael aaron no one... and i are gonna get off of here and start oh, the God. screenplay go work on it right now God. Yeah. I have heard from people who like worked events that she was at that apparently uh, she is just sucking on that vape pen all the time that she yes! is wow. high. <laughs> I, <love her. laughs> I think she is so cool. 
Yeah. Feature, not bug. Feature, not exactly. bug. Exactly. <laughs> she fucking rules. Well, so, okay. Obviously, Black Narcissus, a singular film. However, we do like to ask, if you were to recommend another movie to go with Black Narcissus, whether it's a double bill or if you're just recommending a movie to a friend who likes Black Narcissus, like, here's something else you might like. What would be something you would pair with that? Michael, you want to start us off? Oh, God, I wasn't prepared to go first, but I will because <laughs> I I think about this is my favorite thing to think about. Um, so I have I have to I, I wrote down like a bunch. I wrote I wrote down like fucking 90, but I'm going to say three. Um, okay. The first would be uh, Andrea Arnold's uh, Wuthering Heights uh, 2011. Yes. Um, yes. Just the whole vibe of desire, longing, um, the natural world. Um, just like I remember watching that movie for the first time being like, damn, I want to fuck that grass. The same way <laughs> yeah. the last shot of Black Narcissus makes me go, damn. I want to fuck that plant. Um, so there's there's that. Um, then number two is a movie that I have not seen yet, and I queued it up immediately after I watched uh, Black Narcissus, and that movie is uh, The Color of Money, uh, which Martin Scorsese mentioned, you know, a lot of the close-up shots of Deborah Carr um, kind of inspired, and, and uh, Kathleen Byron kind of inspired the way that he shoots the the mm-hmm. billiards players. Um, and then the last, damn, I said I was going to do three, but I'm going to do four. Uh, it's a tie. <laughs> it's a tie between, uh, the ghost and Mrs. Muir, uh, which Love came it. out 1947, uh, same year, uh, very horny movie, uh, lots of restraint, uh, lady is horny for a mm-hmm. ghost. They can't fuck, uh, <laughs> similar to the way that these nuns cannot, uh, you know, fuck any of the plants. Um, and then last movie, the little hours. 2017 um <laughs> another movie about horny nuns um love it and it I, so ends my recommendations <laughs> these are great it is something that's always interesting to me is the difference in perception that like an artist has of their own work and how audiences might receive it because i did meet andrea arnold once and i told her how much i loved wuthering heights and i said it was like you know maybe my favorite adaptation of it and she was like uh it sucked i did a bad job on that one oh, <laughs> which is what? crazy to me no. <laughs> she was like it didn't work <laughs> oh no, don't do that to yourself i know i was like lady what but you know, I, I but i thought that, that i was also yeah i thought it was kind of inspiring actually because i was like cool. this is something that i I think is such a, a masterpiece in the fact that she's like, I could do better. I'm like, all right, that rules. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, Aaron, what would you pair with black narcissus? This is a really good question. I have to ponder it for a little bit. I, it's going to be very obvious, but okay. if your listeners have not seen other productions by the archers, yes, specifically Oof. the ones that they dabble in uh, technicolor, Mm-hmm. Uh, Matter of Life and Death, which they do just the year before Ugh. this. Kathleen Byron is also in that as an yeah. angel. Um, the Red Shoes, uh, which is, as I've mentioned already, like maybe one of the most gorgeous, like mm-hmm. holy cinematic experiences I've ever had in my life. There is a centerpiece production of mm-hmm. uh, a ballet that is done like ground level on the stage with all of these I- immaculate set pieces that is mm-hmm dreamlike and hypnotic and unbelievable like it just took my breath away as a a young movie watcher um and then the life and death of colonel blimp is another one that i would recommend (sighs) 
if you have not seen Archer's movies, go watch Archer's movies. You Ooh. see those those arrows hit that target at the beginning of a movie. You know you're in good hands <laughs> and going to have a good time. Ooh, these uh, are such good recommendations. God yes, damn. Watch them all. Watch them all. Eat them up. Some of them are a little long. Blimp is like... Blimp is very long. Crest but it doesn't feel hours. long. It moves. It moves really quickly. It definitely does. And and Red Shoes, too, I think, is like up in like that two yeah. and a half plus. Um, but but again, just the, the best time you want to live in it. Uh, and then another recommendation I have, and I don't know why, maybe it's because of just the, the palpable sensuality of every second of them. Mm. Uh, and because it also features one of my favorite stealth sex symbols, someone who I hadn't even thought about until right now, uh, the great avant-garde filmmaker, Maya Darren. (gasps) Yes. And she has a... One of her very first uh, short films is called Meshes of the Afternoon. Mm-hmm. It is brilliant and beautiful. She is formerly like a, a, a dancer as well as, as a career. Um, and so she is someone who just has an incredible understanding of movement and mm. physicality and just how to like manipulate a body in front of a camera Oof. for like uh, for like a, a, an audience. And yeah. You know, it's 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 kind of bizarre. It's very dreamlike. At Land is another really good one that she did that that followed this up, which is is yeah. also just like you'll be mesmerized by its just kind of creativity and ingenuity with like kind of in camera effects and and yeah. uh, how she's manipulating things. But it's also just like looking at a beautiful woman sensually moving in front of a camera for like twenty minutes. Which yeah. Oh wow, <laughs> is uh, brilliant, brilliant stuff. Yeah, I was going to say, I I think maybe one of my favorites of hers is Ritual and Transfigure Time. And yes. I love the performance of um, Rita Cristiani in that. And just, yeah, it, it yeah, it does have an interesting, interesting echoes of Black Narcissus of like this woman in this sort of strange, off kilter dreamlike state of like confusion, but sensuality. Yeah. Ooh, those are those are such good picks. Oh, I love this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I also I hadn't thought about this until you were listing off all of the archers titles at once, but it is fascinating this like through line they have of like impossible desire uh, in their films that like like I hadn't thought about the fact that like I mean in the red shoes there's obviously that that feeling of like the impossibility of her like achieving this desire of dance it's not for another person but then you know matter of life and death they're separated by death itself. Yeah. Uh, you know, Colonel Blimp, they're separated by, you know, war and yeah. And, and the death of Deborah Carr's character, like, yeah, that's, I had never really clocked that mm-hmm. sort of through line in their movies, but that's, yeah. that's really interesting. Not to spoil too much, but they also like to give people uh, endings much like Sister Ruth's in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes not as final, but like definitely uh, something about the sensation of, starting at point A to a yeah. lower point B in elevation is uh, always yeah. on their mind. That's so true. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So I guess for mine, I had two two different ones because I took two sort of different tacks on why I would pair them. Um, the first would be uh, Fritz Lang's Metropolis. Mm. Um, and that is because of the incredible production design in this film. Um Yes. Black Narcissus. Uh, so apparently a lot of the cast, like when they signed on to the film, thought that they were going to be filming like on location <laughs> in India. Uh, they did not. They filmed on a soundstage. And what a soundstage it is. Um, oh, my you know, God. The, the, it, apparently some people, you know, who had like lived in the Himalayas, like watched it and originally like thought that they had shot on location because 
of the like incredibly detailed work that they did of um, like blowing up uh, like black and white photographs and then, you know, using like, I think chalk apparently to, uh, you know, color in and create this like vibrant uh, landscape behind them. Um, my, my grandma told me a story when we watched the film State Fair when I was a kid um, that she didn't realize that they were like painted backdrops on the sets and she was oh, on a date yeah. when she saw it and the guy leaned over and he was like, you know, they painted that. And she was like pissed at him for the rest of her life. She was like, why'd you spoil it for me? <laughs> but, <laughs> well, it might've been uh, a spoiler for my grandma. It is one of the pleasures of watching both Black Narcissus and Metropolis is like knowing that these are constructed sets and just seeing the artistry that goes into making these like incredibly convincing worlds. Um, and then the other one, uh, this is more on like a thematic level, is that I would pair it with Abel Ferrara's Bad Lieutenant um, <laughs> <laughs> because it also has that, you know, like maddening push pull between the sacred and the profane, between, you know, sensual life and, you know, God. Um, obviously, it manifests very differently in Bad Lieutenant where he's, you know, downing vodka and ripping coke and, you know, fucking people he's arrested. Uh, not fucking, raping. He's raping people. Yeah, he's, he's, um, he's raping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's call it what it is. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that, that manifests slightly differently than, like, Sister Ruth uh, putting on lipstick. But, um, but yeah, but I, I find those sort of uh, resonances of people sort of tortured by being stuck between between God and earthly desires uh, mm. to be really interesting. That's a good one. Sorry mm. to not be totally familiar with your lore, but has anyone done Harvey Keitel on your show? I don't somehow, think we have yet. Somehow we've, been... we've not talked about yeah, Harvey Keitel. Yeah, I think Keitel we've been saving Harvey Keitel. <laughs> we, we, we've mentioned Harvey Keitel a lot. A lot. Um, oh, which we also uh, have a Harvey Keitel sound cue. I'm not masturbating. Yeah, yeah. That is we, from, I think it's called the Gentleman's Club or the men, the Men's Club. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's very much in in our little mini zeitgeist, but yeah. Um, oh, yeah. we're overdue to talk about far uh, overdue. this man, this Harvey Keitel super- and his penis that is just always. Out. He always is out. he is a series of veins that made a wish to be a human man. Um, uh, incredible being. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> and just and just that meaty pork chop ass that's yeah. all of the piano. <laughs> you know? Big hulking shoulders. <laughs> like he is. I mean, he's he's very like he's well fed in the piano. I'll say. Like, yeah. He's, yeah. He's good. He's a strapping man, you know. Yes. Of course. Shelley, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a note that we we gotta do like a bracket of of meaty asses. Um, <laughs> To the ham hocks bracket. <laughs> yeah, the ham hock to to rule them all. Like who's who's got it? Um, I'm down for it. Let's yeah, do it. Yeah, you gotta. <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, we we're running low on time, but every week we do like to uh, finish out with a little game, and we're going to be doing a classic this week. A classic, fuck Mary Kill. However, the twist is this is fuck Mary Kill nun edition so we have three nuns that we will be choosing between for this fuck mary kill our first is of course our beloved sister ruth from black narcissus <laughs> um number two is dolores van cartier Whoopi goldberg's character from sister act and number three is sister aloysius meryl streep's character from doubt so michael would you like to uh begin 
This is going to be the easiest one I've ever done. I have not seen Doubt, so I'm going to kill Sister Aloysius. Sorry. Um, she's also the spookiest on my my uh, inverted screen. I'm seeing negatives of everyone, so everyone looks like a, like a ghost. Um, so there's that. Um, I am going to marry Dolores uh, because I think we would have a healthy... Uh, musical marriage. We probably have the most mm. uh, to talk about, uh, you know, on a, on a basic music level. Um, her whole vibe, like, I, I love Whoopi. We all know this. Um, yeah, that's like a, we got legs. We have wheels. We are going to go the distance. Um, <laughs> and then I am going to fuck Sister Ruth. Oh, my God. Um, mm. She is mm. the, <laughs> the exact... <laughs> type uh that i had once uh gone for in the past um lord and i i don't i god she that woman ruined my life um yeah i probably ruined hers um yeah there you go yeah yeah (laughs) that's very mature (laughs) yeah 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 of course you're welcome aaron how about you (laughs) You know, I think I'm going to have to carbon copy Michael's answers. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, You know, I I too have not seen Doubt, um, but I am a pretty staunch, like, I'll call myself a Meryl skeptic rather than a Meryl hater. Not a streeper. Okay. Yeah, not a streeper. Um, But an easy one to off, I think, in this situation. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I, I think Whoopi is somebody, like you said, she... Dolores has kind of figured out a way to both embrace her holiness, embrace <laughs> that that kind of practice, while still having a little bit of fun, while still yeah. having energy, while still bringing the heat. <laughs> so we we could build in that on that yeah. foundation. Yes. I think a Synthesis. very solid relationship long term. Uh, and then absolutely, we're fucking Sister Ruth. It's uh, I, I I mean. With the caveat, I think that it's it's a long session, and <laughs> you know, and like I said before, like the versatility of beauty here, she's hot in every iteration mm-hmm. in this movie. The nun situation, uh, <laughs> when she's like in the lipstick and the dress, and then when she like, you know, off the wall, like you know, kind of goth batty crazy at the end, like mm-hmm. all of those sound like a a, a fun experience. Oh, I'd yeah. like to experience the breath of them. <laughs> all i'm gonna say about that i like it i mean honestly i set myself up for this you know we like to have a fuck mary kill where there's gonna be some contention and some argument but there's there's no way to do it any other way <laughs> so you know <laughs> you gotta fuck sister ruth obviously you know yeah. you start with her in the habit you take pieces off let's keep going 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 it's gonna be great Ooh, but she Get is one that... on oh see i think i think start with the habit okay. and then you know like you said, she's great in all in all different iterations. So I want I want a taste of everything. <laughs> but then you make sure you block her number afterwards. <laughs> oh yeah, because you are in for a world of trouble. <laughs> and definitely have to marry Whoopi. Obviously, we love Whoopi. Uh, you know, absolutely charming, absolutely beautiful in that movie. But I have seen Doubt, and I will say fucking kill sister Aloysius. She sucks ass. Oh. She fucking sucks. <laughs> kill her. <laughs> so yes, I think we are all in agreement. I think this is beautiful. 
But thank you so much for coming on today, Aaron. Thank you for playing Fuck, Mary Kill and for sharing your horniness with us. We are so grateful. Um, could you tell the listeners where they can find you? Of course. Uh, so I am the co-host, along with my partner, Carly, of a show called Hit Factory. And we are a podcast about the films of the 1990s. Uh, but rather than do that with kind of a rosy-hued nostalgic lens, we like to kind of undermine that. We kind of ta- uh, we like to advertise ourselves as an anti-nostalgia podcast often and get into more of the uh, kind of sociopolitical context of the time and the era in which a movie is made, the things that are reflected within the work um, that speak to that time and place, uh, and also talk about the material reasons why maybe, just maybe, movies were a little bit better back in the 90s than they are in the current cinematic landscape. Um, So that's available wherever you stream podcasts. Uh, We're online at Hit Factory Pod. Uh, That's also my personal Twitter account. I just tweet from there. I I get a little flippant with it sometimes. Sorry in (laughs) advance if you're looking for just like straight marketing materials. Uh, (laughs) That's what everyone's looking for, right? (laughs) right. I love marketing. (laughs) You just want to be advertised to sometimes. Uh, You'd be surprised the number of people who are like, your podcast account, why are you saying this or talking this way? Because I'm also a human being. (laughs) Uh, Dork. Uh, I usually just send them like a gif of like someone getting a wedgie or something. Um, <laughs> but uh, we're also on Patreon, patreon.com slash hitfactorypod, uh, where we do biweekly bonus content. So the full Hit Factory experience is available there for a very slight subscription fee monthly. Amazing. Yeah. Oh. Listeners, give them, give them your money. Go, Ooh. go subscribe. <laughs> I cannot wait to subscribe. I have one quick question. Do you talk about deep cover at all? We do indeed. We talk about deep cover a lot. <sighs> yes. uh, Carly and I did an episode on that one, I think just back in March. Okay. Uh, we love it. We're obsessed with that film. Bill Duke, the God, Fishburne, yes. the God, Goldblum, the God. Uh, and then we also had uh, the absolute pleasure of getting a chance to host and introduce that film at a screening here in town at uh, our so local cool. draft house shortly thereafter. So we have spent a lot of time thinking about deep cover uh, and preaching the good word of, of that film. Oh, that rules. Oh, my oh. God. All right. God, I'm starting with I that can't episode. wait for us to talk about this. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh well michael where can people find us uh y'all can find us everywhere at everyone is hot pod that's every number one is hot pod and wherever you're listening to our show uh rate us five stars um if you don't we'll push you off a cliff uh <laughs> off the bell tower you go <laughs> yeah yeah we will we'll push you right off and we won't even look hot doing it. <laughs> oh, yeah. We won't even put on lipstick and a slutty little dress. We'll, we'll be so fucking dry. Um, yeah. You won't believe how dry our we are. Our powder will be set. You will not see our hair. Hmm. <laughs> well, and what is the most important thing for people to do? Oh, remember, listeners, stay horny. Horny. Horny, darling. planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands plus quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.